Welcome back to the Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, and today's episode is about hustle. Hustle hard, girl. Can you believe it? We're at episode six. I'm so happy to continue to be on this journey with you. I am a natural-born hustler. I don't know about you, but hustle is in the blood, if you know what I'm saying. So I wanted to tell you a a few little stories about my hustle because I definitely don't think that my success is due to luck. You know, I think I, I had all the ingredients to success and I just whipped them up, whipped up what was in front of me. Talked about that in another episode, I believe, but... You know, we've been talking about sex and some stuff, and I wanted to to get into money and you know the um the stuff that we all work so hard for, right? Um, you know, and before I even hit record today, I got a text from my lovely partner who you met in the last episode, and we were uh, having a heated discussion this morning. I don't I don't like to call them arguments because I'm such an emotional being that I'm constantly having heated discussions with other people, myself, all the people in my head. Uh but anyways, he just left the house. I figured it was a good time. Got some quiet in the house to record. But he sent me a a lovely message telling me not to be so hard on myself. I should be amazingly proud of what I've accomplished and that he promises that we'll get out and have a little more fun soon. And uh, that's kind of what we were talking about. You know, we've been working so hard. Things are prosperous. Things are growing exponentially and... You know, when you're working so hard for tomorrow, you forget to be happy and be present in today. That was something um, that really hit me hard. I was listening to a Joe Rogan. I wish I knew the the episode. I'll I'll link it in the description here. I've, I've actually listened to the episode about three times at this point because it's so deep about social media, technology, how our brains are turning into mush and how in the future they'll, you know, everyone will be, anyways, that <laughs> that's another, I'll go off on a tangent, I swear. <clears throat> hustle, hustle hard, girl. Uh, let's talk about the early years, just quickly. I don't want to get too, too mushy or anything, but even when I was a youngster, I'm talking, I want to say kindergarten, like real early, you know, before seven years old, maybe seven, I'm not sure. But I took, let's take it back to the lemonade stands. Who here has done anything like that when you were younger? I'm talking car washes for the community, for your church, whatever. You know, when, when we lived into a neighborhood, this was after my, my parents divorced. We lived in a little cul-de-sac right by the main road. And 
you know, there was a ton. All my neighbors were were my age. You know, we'd all play kick the can in the cul-de-sac. God, that makes me sound old. When <laughs> kids who played games without technology, I mean, video games were around. And, you know, I had a cell phone when I was 13. That's when the Motorola Pink Razor came out. I know some of you listening had that one, unless you had a sidekick. That was also my one of my favorite. Anyways, the lemonade stand. Now, I saw one of the other neighbor kids doing a lemonade stand, and me being me was like, I'm going to outdo them. <laughs> I'm going to be better. Let me show them. So I talked to my mom, and she told me she'd help me build like this wooden, not just some cheap little Walmart stand-up table. I'm talking like a wooden uh, stand that connected up to like a wooden sign that was like Anna's fresh lemonade, <laughs> you know, five cents a cup or, or two for two for one, whatever kind of deal I was doing that, that weekend. And anyway, so I got the other little girls in the neighborhood to help me. And of course I was giving them their commission after I got my piece but we would hand make these posters and I'd have them run out to like the main road, kind of like the entrance of our neighborhood. And they'd be jumping around with the sign and kind of promoting people to come to the lemonade stand. And when you're that young and you realize you can make money and your money can get whatever you want, it, it changes you. <clears throat> and, I learned a lot from that experience. I learned, you know, we would do these um, uh, garage sales. Everyone knows about garage sales. But I was out in the front of uh, our driveway. I had the donuts, a dollar donut. I had um, all sorts of little treats for people, lemonade, soda, whatever. And I did that after I made enough money from my lemonade stand. So it was kind of like an upgrade. You know, now I could afford to buy the donuts and whatnot. (laughs) So things continued to escalate. I feel like I started my savings account when I was, when I started my lemonade stand. (laughs) So that was, uh, You know, when you're a kid, whatever you love and whatever you're doing as a child is really like your soul magic. You know, whenever people are stuck and they don't know what to do in life, I always tell them, like, what did you love when you were a kid? Like, as weird as it was, like, what was it that you did that your mind just lost track of time? And for me, it was the joy of the hustle. It was finding something cheap and selling it to someone for twice as much. And it was playing with Barbies. And to this day, I still hustle. And to this day, I still dress up models, human Barbies, and I get so much joy from it. Besides the fact when I get overwhelmed with all the joy, (laughs) because there is a tipping point sometimes. So I hope some of you related to that lemonade stand, whatever you did, if you got that hustle blood in you. You know, that's, that's what I got flowing through at all, at all times. So then I went to camp. I went to camp when I was 10, maybe even nine from like nine to 13. Every year I went to summer camp up at Lake Lure. Um, The camp 
ran in my dad's side of the family, like his dad's dads were counselors there. It was a, a Christian community. So their kids and their kids' kids, they all went to camp every summer. And, you know, after my parents split, my mom really couldn't afford it. Y'all know how expensive camp can be. So she applied for us to be on the, um, like the sponsored kids, you know, cause she was, wasn't making a whole lot of money. So she sent in some sob story about us. So we'd get sponsored every year to go to camp. And I remember this girl in the cabin, she had, a, you know, they were like real wooden cabins and we had these bunk beds and I looked across the way and, and this girl had all these like rainbow duct tape roses that were on her bunk like all intertwined and I thought it was beautiful and I I told her I was like what the what the f is that and she showed me how to make like fake roses out of duct tape and I could still try to do it probably with you know that photographic memory that I that I tap into (laughs) uh but you know she'd cut the tape, fold it into these triangles, do these double folds. And she had all these different colored tapes and she'd make these really pretty roses. And then we got to talking and and me, I was like, well, what else could you make? You know, besides this, like it shouldn't stop here. By the end of week, by the end of the week at camp, we were making duct tape wallets. You know, we came up with something that would have a good use because a rose is pretty, you know, but we wanted something people could use. Excuse me, I yawn. <sighs> and I'm stuffy. I apologize for the sniffles. <laughs> but, um, so back to the story. We were making these duct tape wallets and of course I came home from camp and the only thing I wouldn't shut up about was duct tape. <laughs> So my mom took me to the local Walmart, whatever, Hobby Lobby, Michaels, and I got every color of duct tape. I'm talking silver, shinies, patterns, all sorts of whatever my heart desired, you know, and a lot, I'm sure I pulled some from my savings for that. And I think I was in third grade. Yeah. Yep. Third grade. Cause that was the year I switched schools. And I remember this was at the new school and I started slinging duct tape wallets at lunchtime. I thought that was appropriate. You know, I was making something that the people wanted. And I was, you know, it was like my first small business. Um, anyways, God, I got to talk to y'all about this alligator in my pond. I'm all over the place. Uh, I'll get back to that. But Anyways, so a few weeks went by and I was making good, like good cash. I'm talking five, ten bucks a wallet and that's third grader money. So think about it. It was, um, you know, when you're making money off something you make, it gives you this, this confidence, this, um, this newfound joy about yourself. Like I can create something that no one else in the cafeteria can and people are coming to me for it and it's not illegal. Until uh, this this one day I get called to the principal's office and the principal pretty much told me that it was against the rules to do that. And looking back, that makes sense. You know, they don't want kids coming to school selling things for money, especially like, you know, 
fucking third graders, you know, nine and 10 year olds, you know, having all that money can change you. (laughs) Having all that money can make you do crazy things. So I was, I was devastated. I mean, I felt like they shoved their fist down my throat, took my heart out and set it on the, the principal's table. So right then, and this is what's so fucked up about childhood traumas. You don't know, you don't know it's happening to you while it's happening to you. And I, looking back now and trying to compartmentalize what was happening, you know, it, it, it's like when you do something bad and you get the belt or you get a spanking, you start to associate those things with pain and, After getting told I couldn't do that, it made me feel like a bad person. So I started to associate this joy of hustle as to being bad. And I think the teachers and the principal could have gone about that a whole different way. I think they could have turned that conversation into what can I do to use this creativity that I have that's special. But they only care about the rules. And that's kind of a huge society lesson is that... They only care about the rules. They don't care about your talents and what you're good at unless it's something that's going to give you an an A, like science or math or whatever. You know, it's it's hard as an artist to get that credit and validation that you're a good person and what you're doing is is good. So that was definitely like a rift, you know, a bump in the road, an obstacle as a as a nine year old me. (sighs) but then, uh, well, I'll just get straight to the point. Then I started selling weed in high school. Um, the story of me starting to smoke weed and how I got into that, that's a lengthy one. But I realized, you know, I bought, what was it? I bought my first gram for $20 and, you know, a few weeks go by and then you're like, your girl needs a quarter, you know? So, Then when I got that quarter, I realized if I sold this quarter by the gram, not only would I make my money back to buy another quarter, but I'd have a little extra. And it was, it, it was like, like science. It just made sense. (laughs) Like math, you know, It, it was math. And So I did the math and then one thing led to another and probably six months in after I bought my first gram, I was buying ounces and I was, you know, all my friends smoked. So I had all the clientele and being a female buying from older men, I could work to my advantage. Granted, it probably was not safe. Some of the situations I was in, some of the places, some of the zip codes, I was in was probably not the best. If uh, if I had an iPhone at the time, it would have been smart to have my location on, if you know what I mean. And yeah, it, oh, what a great time. I just thought I was the ish. <laughs> I was riding around in my bright orange Mitsubishi Eclipse, shaved door handles, you know, smoking a cigarette in one hand had my OZs in the middle console. And what was dope about my car, it was so shitty, you could just take it apart in a million pieces and put it back together. So my middle console, actually, you could take the whole thing out. You could just 
lift it up and there was like an empty compartment cavity space so i'd put all my my illegals there and uh man i was everyone i went to school with who i worked with they were all coming back for more because I'm sure the, you know, some of these people wanted to get their weed from a a cute little girl versus some, you know, you know, (laughs) from some, uh, I don't want to stereotype, um, people who sell weed, but you know, sometimes they'll forget to text you back. They're so high. Like I was, I was on it. You want something? I'll meet you there. You want something? Come to me, whatever. And, oh, gosh, things got frisky. I started, um, I think I tried coke, cocaine for the first time around that time, you know, probably 14 or 15, fucking wild child. So, same situation, I started carrying an eight ball on me every now and then, you want a little weed, want a little cocaine, I gotcha, you know, and uh, I was making good money. I was a happy camper. Didn't have to ask no one to get my oil changed. I just went, paid for it myself. And a lot of that stems from when your daddy leaves and you realize the struggle of your of your mom providing. You want you want to help provide. So I think a lot of that motivation, along with the hustle and the thrill, a lot of it stemmed from wanting me to take care of myself so that my mom didn't have to take care of me. So I know that's the truth, but I was selling this stuff to to people that I worked with. I was working at a real fancy um, restaurant, and I remember <laughs> we would do this thing. There was this one chick. I would leave her little stash for her in the bathroom, you know, that little compartment where you put your tampons in and whatnot. I'd put it, wrap it up in a plastic baggie, stick it down there, and I'd go to the bathroom, and my, my money would be in the in the little box and and it was nice, you know. I remember freshman year, I uh I'd ride to school with my neighbor. It was me and my brother. My neighbor, she was a grade above me and her brother who was in my grade and her, and their mom would always take us to Chick-fil-A in the morning on the way to school. And Chick-fil-A was like the expensive stuff. And I'd get those breakfast chicken nugget sandwiches, the hash browns, all of it. And um, I'd take them to school. I wouldn't eat them, but I'd sell them when I got to school because everyone at school was hungry in the morning, hungry and high. And I'd be like, you want my Chick-fil-A? Ten bucks. Ten dollars. I was just making money left and right, any chance. My brother... He was prescribed to Adderall, and I would take a few out of his bottle, crack them in fourths. You want a fourth of Adderall? Ten dollars. I would overcharge the shit out of this stuff because I knew people would buy it. If there was no one else that had it, they'd buy it. God, I was stupid, but people probably hated me for that. So yeah, the hustle was real. <sighs> the hustle, the hustle. Yeah, that's that's where it, it kind of. <laughs> that's where it was. Can you relate? 
Any other girls out there who are little trap stars? <laughs> yeah, one time I was getting weed from my dealer and it was so weird. Ah, I, I he I guess he was single. He was a little bit older. And I didn't like that when I'd come over to pick up what I needed, he'd always want to hang out. You know, everyone wants to hang out. And his baby, his child would be in the other room, probably like, I don't know what, what baby, like one or two years old. <laughs> There's probably a big difference, but his baby would be there and I was never comfortable like smoking or doing anything around the baby. And I just, you know, I had customers I needed to get out of there. And one day, things felt weird. I could I could feel his eyes on me being different. Maybe he was drunk. But I got what I needed and pretty much had to, you know, thanks but no thanks and exit quickly. And I was in such a, you know... I was I wasn't scared. I, God, I was so confident at that age. I felt like nothing could touch me. But I I was like, ooh, gotta gotta go. Warning, red sign, getting out of there. Hop into my car. I exit so quickly that I fucking hit a car in the parking lot. And he, I can see him like running out of his apartment, like girl, blah, 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 like yelling. And I'm just like, literally, my instincts were like, go go, go, go. So I fucking step on the gas. Last time I ever talked to see him again. But I remember calling my aunt. I was too scared to call my mom. You know, my aunt's is kind of like the, the crazier child of her family. I was like, what do I do? Da, da. And she's all like, you did the right thing. <laughs> Just get out of there. Did anyone see you? Oh, I love her. All right, I'm going to pause this real quick. My camera is dying, so we're going to take a little uh, break really quick. Be right back. Hey, you nasty sluts. I hope you are enjoying this week's episode of the podcast. If you haven't joined the Balian gang yet, I would like to invite you to join an extraterrestrial wonderland where us aliens can share the slimiest, grimiest, sweetest, and most sour treats. Anyone is welcome. It is 18 and up only. The group is totally secret and there are minimal spots to join right now. But whether you need relationship advice, have questions about sex work, or if you just feel like you don't belong where you are and you'd like to join a community of welcoming, loving, accepting people, come check out the Balian Gang. It's at facebook.com slash groups slash Balian Gang. Balian is spelled B-A-E-L-I-E-N. Gang. G-A-N-G. Now, let's get back to the show. And we're back. So, I learned a lot about selling weed. I learned how to be careful. I really started to learn what power was, how you could manipulate people. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think people manipulate people all the time to, you know, we all have ulterior motives sometimes, you know. So that can be be good or it can be bad. 
you know, I learned that a lot of my friends only wanted to hang out with me because of what I, the, the items I had in my, in my pocket. You know, there are all these different things. Um, I was learning at a young age how to partner with people, how to communicate. You know, you learn a lot about business. Um, I remember this one time I'd always lend my, my, um, I won't say who, someone in my family, I'd, you know, I'd take care of them and me being me too, too generous. I took care of them a little too much and they owed me a little too much money. So I had to say, you know, I can't give you any more unless you pay me back. And (laughs) that person decided to tell my mother what I was doing (laughs) instead of paying me back. And what's so, what's so funny Like I said in the last episode, if you got straight A's, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) Because my mom didn't even believe them. She was like, Anna, not Anna. You're joking. You're lying. (laughs) Got him. (laughs) Oh, man. So fast forward. uh, Last episode, I talked about my DUI. Um... That was around the time I stopped selling weed. I got robbed. Um, Y'all want to hear about when I got robbed? (laughs) I wonder if uh, YouTube is going to demonetize this. (sighs) So I sell weed to this person, this someone I've never sold to before. It was this uh, shopping center called the Arboretum. We were at the, the McDonald's and he got in my car and I'm sure a friend of a friend referred him to me and I took anyone, you know, I was trying to get that paper. You know, I, I hadn't been through enough shit to be too cautious quite yet. I thought I was invincible. You know, if a cop pulled me over, I could talk myself out of anything. (laughs) So we make the transaction. He saw that I had a little Coke, you know, I told him I could get what he wanted if he needed it. And something felt, you know, the gut. The gut was like, meh, meh, I don't know about this this dude. <sighs> Always trust your gut, ladies and gents. I swear our brain might as well be in our gut because it knows what's up. Because literally, could have been a few weeks later, maybe just a week. I go, and this is what's crazy. When I lived in this condo with my mom, I always parked right in the front of our house and it was on a street. So like lots of cars would park behind you. But one, one day, one night, I don't know why, what was, bah, I decided to park behind our condo in our little driveway space. And you have to drive around to the back. It's where all the, the trash is. It's, There's like a tree line and a sidewalk behind the trees, but definitely people can't see what you're doing back there. So I park back there. It's a school night. I wake up 6 a.m., get in the car by 6.30, or I'm actually walking to my car. And the, now granted, I have no door handles on my car. You have to press a button and the the door kind of pops open. But there's a keyhole where you put your key if you don't have the button. So I, I like subconsciously take out my key and put my key towards the car to go in the hole. And I realize 
it's not a key. Like, the place you put the key is not there. It is literally gone. It has been fucking punched out. Like, someone took a fucking screwdriver, stuck it where the key goes, and just punched that shit through. Oh, my God. I mean, thank God my window wasn't shattered, but I don't know how that fucking opened the car, but it was like sirens going off in my head again. I First thing I went for was my middle console because that's where I kept everything. I didn't keep it in the house. And excuse me, I yawn when I get nervous. This shit still makes me so mad. Oh, my God. Uh, my whole metal car, like, my car was torn apart, y'all. My little baby. the My little middle console fucking done. Gone. <laughs> At, like, parts of my door were pulled out. I told you my car could just be taken apart. Like, they went through everything. They must have, you know... Okay, fast forward, I get a, a boyfriend at some time, and he told me he heard at a party he that someone was talking about how they robbed this girl with an orange car, and no one had an orange car but me, and no one was a girl out there trapping like me in an orange car, so it became pretty clear that it was that person that bought for me one time, and... They must have saw my middle console when we made the transaction and thought I had a whole lot more. But I didn't. They got away with a half ounce and a tiny little bit of Coke. And thank God it wasn't more. But I couldn't even, I couldn't even tell my mother. I had to act like, I. Mm. first of all, I still drove to school. I didn't go to, what do they call it, first block. I sat in the parking lot. I cried cleaned up my car. And then that day I went to the shop and had it fixed. And that's where I started to learn as a, as a teenager, what I could get away with, with money too, is, you know, I didn't have to exactly be honest all the time to everyone. And it was kind of nice to have a dirty little secret, you know, something happened and I took care of it. But I, I pretty much quit cold turkey after that. It emotionally upset me enough. Um, and the boyfriend at the time, I think we waited a little while, <laughs> a few weeks, and um, we drove by this person's house, and I'm pretty sure he lived with his mother, and he he um, he threw a brick through their window for me, and I thought that was pretty sexy. Yep. Revenge is in my Scorpio nature. So that was that. That was the story when I got robbed. You know, there was, I still have a, probably a paper somewhere that shows everyone that owed me money. There's a few people that moved away. I think someone named, no, I won't say his name. I'll be nice. But he moved down to Florida. He owed me like $360. It's probably an ounce of some good, some good quiche. So yeah, then, um, you know, 16, 17 rolls around. I get the DUI. I kind of mentioned in the last episode, I started dancing after that happened. And I, it was like, shloop, right back in the tornado of hustle, 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 hustle. 
Now, I want to make a dedicated episode to my first time dancing. Um, I got I got robbed at the strip club. I, a few times. Those girls are vicious. The customers are vicious. Crazy stories. I would If I had danced longer, I probably could have a book of stories. But at least I have a, a little pamphlet of some fun times. But I'm telling you. When you are on stage, not even dancing, you could be standing there eating a slice of pizza and someone from up above, (laughs) like imagine someone holding a trash can of money and just tipping it over the balcony and you're just standing there doing nothing. (laughs) Just imagine that feeling, you know, it's, um, it's addictive it's you keep coming back for more. I mean, there are granted there are bad days, but I started to realize, wow, the the amount of effort I'm putting in with the what I'm what's the word? The return on investment is quite high. And of course, that's kind of you get that beginner's luck too, but I do recall many times where I I learned how to use the least amount of energy so that I could sustain my energy for the hours and amount of time I was working. I realized within two minutes if a client didn't want to dance with me or nothing to do with me that I had to keep it moving because there were potential little, you know, banks sitting in all the little chairs. Okay, and the last hustle story of the episode is Goodwill. Yes, good old, good old Goodwill. Whew. So, when I was living at that condo, um, can't remember if this was pre-DUI or post-DUI. Um, probably a little bit of both. So, there was a Goodwill in walking distance of my house. So, if I couldn't drive there because I didn't have a license, I could always walk there. If there's a will, there's a way. Or I'd have a friend, you know, pick me up and we'd go together. So, oh, my dog's coming to say hi. So we would go to Goodwill. And I started to realize that there was a lot of items in there. Lots of name brand items that I was in there shopping for. But while I was in there, I would sit in the uh, dressing room and I'd search how much this stuff was worth. And a lot of it was like... Ann Taylor, Calvin Klein, like stuff that I normally wouldn't wear, but I saw that people were auctioning it off, like 99 cent auctions, selling them for like 10 or 20 bucks. And I know that profit margin isn't all that much, but you got to start small. You know, you can literally go to the dollar store and buy like Lisa Frank calendars or stickers and sell them for 10 times as much. So you don't need to invest a whole lot to start an online retail. If you watch my thrift shop 101 on YouTube, I go into major depth about that. But, you know, on the days I was off from dancing or, I mean, even just the thrill of the hunt is fun enough for me to go to Goodwill. And when you're looking for like cute dance wear and costumes, you can always find cute stuff in there. And I was really into like cutting shit up, like old t-shirts, and really making, like, cute stuff. Goodwill 
is what introduced me to online retail and to e-commerce because I learned the value of what clothing, accessories, home decor, just random stuff. Man, I remember going in there and they had a tub of like costume makeup, like what you find at, what's that Halloween store? There's always one at like Party City or something. But it was like, um, like clown face paint, like white paint and stuff. And it was this huge bin. And there was like a sign that was like five cents a piece. And I was thinking, hmm, okay, let me look this up online. Granted, they were like, let's just pretend they were $7 a uh, a pack. And there was, um, let's say there was a hundred packs in there. So let me pull out my handy dandy calculator. So five cents times a hundred packs. Oh, that's five dollars, y'all. Is that five dollars? Double check. <laughs> okay. So investment, five dollars. They sell for seven. Seven times a hundred pieces. Seven hundred dollars. Subtract the investment. You're at six hundred ninety-five dollars. Now a hundred pieces. This was so long ago. I'm sure it costs less than $2 to ship each one of those. But let's say it did cost $2 to ship each one of those. Let's subtract 200 Over time, you sell them all. You're making 500 bucks, $495. So that would happen very often. You know, I'd go in there. I'd just find the strangest things. Under the counter, they'd have bags or jewelry or, like, old vintage dolls, instruments, And it was so much fun. And the most fun is when it actually sold. Then I started to realize you could just buy stuff online and resell it. And once once you learn and you learn your lessons, what sells, what doesn't sell, what takes too long to sell, I just became infatuated with this world. And I still am. I've Ever since then, to this day, I've started seven, eight, almost 10 different brands. I've made hundreds of thousands of dollars hustling. So anyways, that's, those are some stories about hustle, about the past. I'll get into the future stuff, the present stuff in in episodes to come, but there is an alligator in my fucking backyard. And if you follow me on YouTube, um, I post a video of him, and it's funny, I, for days I was trying to get footage of this fucking alligator, and I only got his, like, fucking head in the video. It might be a she, but if it's a she, her name's Allie, and if it's a he, his name is Al. Yeah, that's what we came up with, but for days I was trying to get footage, and then, of course, after I post the video, he decides to come to the pond closer to us, roam on the banks, fucking make all his mating calls. So it's fucked up. I'm definitely going to have to post a part two because I have some amazing footage. Y'all, he looks like a fucking dinosaur. Out of the water, he looks fucking 10 feet long. Like he is a fucking beast. And if he finds a mate, there could be, they could lay eggs and then they're vicious. They could have babies. There could be like 40 little alligators running around. I mean, I got, I got children to worry about. No, I just got dogs, but they're my children. I'm, I'm the size of a child, man. I go outside. I'm looking like a snack. 
I mean, he can feel me when I come outside. It's dangerous. It's dangerous out here in the farms. So if you watch the video, I kind of explain why we have to leave him be, why we have to coexist with him, which is okay. I think he's a beautiful creature. But if anything happens to me and my children, you know, something to think about. But for right now, we're all we're all friends. We are all friends. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Celebrepreneur podcast. I enjoyed discussing hustle with you today. If you like this episode, I want you to get on your phone or your laptop, whatever. Go on YouTube, check out this video, leave a comment or get on Instagram, feel free to direct message the Slutchpreneur Instagram. Tell me what you liked about it. The amount of reviews we have makes my heart explode. Y'all know every time you leave a review, a unicorn has a fucking orgasm. So go make those unicorns go crazy, y'all. Head over to iTunes, leave a review. Tell the world that the Slutchpreneur podcast is the new uprising podcast. A lot, there's so much more to come. I appreciate y'all telling me how much you enjoyed meeting my mans. In the last episode, we've already been discussing what we want to talk about. All y'all want to hear is about threesomes and how to deal with jealousy. (laughs) So we've been trying to put those topics together. I had a few drinks in the last episode and I couldn't articulate as well as I'd like to, so... We'll see how fun it is to talk about that stuff. Sober Clover. But, um, yep. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye. You can also write in questions, slutty stories, or reach out to be our next sponsor by emailing us at slutrepreneurpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. May your weekend be filled with sluttiness and lots of success. Bye, guys.